May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In St. John's Gospel, we heard a story just a moment ago that if you paid close attention, would catch you by surprise. It's the story of the death of one of Jesus' closest friends. His name is Lazarus. Jesus was very close with him and with Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha. Their names form part of the warp and woof of the New Testament. Mary and Martha are synonymous with the Gospel. John says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And you say, of course He did. He loves everybody. I've been to Sunday school. I remember Jesus loves the little children and all of these other songs. Jesus loves me this. I know. Of course I know that Jesus loved them. He loves everybody. No, He loved them. This family was like family to Him. These were the sort of people that He would have spent a lot of time with. Late dinners. You know, up late at night talking about things in the world. About the things that friends talk about. Laughing together. Eating together. Crying together. Going places together. Being part of one another's lives. I think it's really important that you get this. Because this is a very important part of the narrative. A very important part of the gospel. And now Jesus is going. He's not with them at this moment. And his, his friend, his dear friend, his brother Lazarus is sick. Very sick. He's not like the flu or some other sort of cold or type of illness. It's a sickness that leads to death. And there are people there who are greatly worried and concerned. They do what you would have done, what we all do in situations like this. They call for physicians. They tend to his bedside. They call for friends to pray. Ministers come in. Friends fast and pray and hold him up in prayer. They even send word to Jesus. The one that you love is near death. There's a subtext to that message, isn't there? Hurry up and get here. Hurry. He's not well. I think in some ways, this family, this friends, they were prepared for the death of Lazarus. They saw his illness. They knew what was going on. It wasn't like an accident at work. It wasn't some other untimely thing like that. He was sick. They knew that he was sick. And he was sick long enough for them to prepare for him to die. And yet when he did, it was still a shock. We're never ready. Eighty years is a long time to live, but it's not long enough. And when this happens in this story, questions come, don't they? The questions that always come. Why? And when you ask that question, there's only one place you can look at I me. Mean, we can look at one another and ask it, but eventually the head goes up. It's a question that we call out to the heavens. Why? It's even more complicated in this story, isn't it? You heard it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I don't know about you, but this is not what is supposed to happen. This is not protocol. When my phone rings 
I get up and go. And Jesus gets the call. Your friend Lazarus is ill. And he waits two days. He does not go. He passively allows something to happen. The people know it. When Jesus arrives, did you hear, did you hear what they said? Wasn't this the one who opened the eyes of the blind man? I mean, this is John's gospel. A sign, sign, sign. There are, there are these seven signs that point to the person of Jesus. It begins with turning the water into wine. It's a great place to begin, by the way. He moves on from turning water into wine. It's, it's opening the eyes of the blind. It's feeding 5,000 people with just a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And the people say, couldn't he have done something? This is not the protocol to wait longer. And I just would insert here, as way of application to us, the ways of God are a mystery to us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And it, it frustrates. It does. It absolutely frustrates. And to say, Lord, why? Martha runs out, doesn't she? She hears Jesus is coming and she runs out of the house to meet him. Did you notice that Mary did not run out? Now, presumably they both heard that Jesus was coming. They both respond differently, but in the same way, they still have the same question. Martha runs out and says, Lord, if you had been here. Mary stays because she's thinking, Lord, if you had been here. They both want to know why. Why didn't you come when we called for you? Because sometimes this is troubling and confusion and difficult to accept. And I think part of what John tells us the story in this way, with so much detail, is because he wants us to know and remember that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His plans are not our plans. He's a mystery and he's sovereign. And he hears us and he listens to us and, and answers our prayers, but sometimes not in the way that we want to. But that's not the end of the story. About in the middle of it, when Mary, when Jesus sees Mary weeping, and those who came with her also weeping, listen to what John says. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Jesus sees Mary, the sister of Lazarus, crying, and he is greatly disturbed and deeply moved. This is not light agitation. This is not like when somebody eats your Chinese leftovers and you're yelling, who ate my Chinese leftovers? This is, this is being deeply troubled in spirit, greatly disturbed. It's just one wording in the original Greek. It actually means, when it's used as an active verb, in this case it's passive, but when, it was, when it's an active verb, it's when you lash out kind of angrily at someone. You know, a subordinate doesn't do what they're supposed to at work. You know, a husband doesn't pick up his socks or a wife doesn't, you know, get the mail. Whatever you don't do. And, and suddenly there's that, that bark, that, that kind of snarky, angry, harsh word that you have to say I'm sorry about. This is what that word means. But when it comes passively, it means you feel that emotion inwardly but have nobody to lash out toward. He's greatly disturbed and deeply moved. A second word, a second adjective. This is when water is all troubled. It's a metaphor. It's like we sometimes say overwhelmed. A wave came over me. This is when somebody gets in the water and stirs it up. 
This is what Jesus is feeling. When he sees this woman whose brother has died, he feels this inwardly. And then, verse 35, in the version I read, horrible translation, just two words in the original. Jesus wept. Sometimes profundity comes in just a very simple, short sentence. A noun and a verb. He wept, sobbed. That would be a better translation. Jesus sobbed. He cries with great emotion. I think John is saying, don't forget that God is is not untouched by your emotion. That He feels what you feel. Indeed, His ways are a mystery to us. Indeed, He sometimes doesn't give us what we ask for. Even when we're certain that He will. But it does not mean He's untouched by it. That He enters into our pain. That He feels it with us. Knows what it means. That He enters into our grief. The very grief that we feel today. And then, of course, there's one more little bit to this story. One little important bit. And that is what happens at the end. Jesus arrives. Roll away the stone and everybody says no. It's too late. And he says it's never too late. Whatever else John is trying to tell us, I think he's telling us this. That death does not have the final word for those who walk with Jesus. It is not the end of the sentence. It's not the end of what's going on. It is not the the last word. Christ will have the last word. There's no denying grief. There's no denying pain. There's no denying sorrow and sadness. But you heard it from three friends and could be echoed from friend after friend after friend of people who knew Jim Gosser. This is not the end. This is not the last time we see him. This is not the end of the story of Jim Gosser. We have not seen him for the last time. And I think he would be really... I I don't think. I know. He would be very upset with me. If I didn't tell you that he thought it was the most important thing in the world to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That he had that personal relationship. That Jesus was not a point of doctrine. I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, of course it's a point of doctrine. But it's more important than that. That Jesus was a friend. Someone that he walked with and talked with every single day. He would be at this Bible study and pray. And he would pray like somebody who knew who he was talking to. He prayed for his wife, his children, his grandchildren. Oh, I know stories. He's told me stories. I'm going to share them all here. But he loved them. Loved those, to, to talk about them as a, and share that personal relationship with Jesus. He wanted that for everyone that he knew. He also liked to act like a tough, crusty old Marine. But that wasn't really the, the outside. It wasn't always what was on the inside. In fact, I remember one time I asked him, I didn't know you were a Marine. He said, we're a Marine. I am a Marine. (laughs) No such thing as a past Marine. He was a good and decent and gentle, kind and godly person. 
clever and fun, a great storyteller. In my mind's eye, I can see him walking into this church right now, Saturday morning for Bible study, giving it to me in the side of the neck for being 10 minutes late. I got here. It was early on Saturday. At the back of the church, handing out bulletins. Those kneelers that are in front of you right now. Jim Gosser, Paul Mount, Dale Schreffler, and myself went to an old Catholic church up in Cleveland and took them out. We had them refinished, repadded, installed here in this church. He was with me crawling around on the floor, dirty up to our ears, taking those things out, replacing them. Seeing the Holy Spirit, I think he still owes me a few rounds of coffee, helping feed people. I like you, I'm going to miss it. I miss a lot. But I know this. I don't think he misses me. <laughs> I don't think he has any conception of time. I think it is gone right now. And this is like when you're upstairs, you know, and everybody's downstairs and the meal's getting ready and they yell at you, come on down, it's time to eat. And you come down and it's like, just at the instant. You know, in just that instant, somebody's going to say, come on down, it's time to eat. We're all going to be there just like Isaiah said. And God is throwing a great big party. Great food. Aged wine. All kinds of family and friends. And it's in a blink of an eye that we're all gathered together. We grieve today. But we do not grieve like people without hope. Because we know Jesus. And that makes all the difference. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.